Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork, alongside Dilu, and we come to you after a dominating 52-0 win over the Bowling Green Falcons as K-State moves their record to 2-0, and uh, they face their toughest uh, test of the season this Saturday as they go on the road uh, to Starkville, Mississippi to take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Dilu, I want to bring you in here after two games of the Chris Kleiman era. Hard to uh, hard to have too much uh, negative to say so far. Yeah, everything has been going exactly like you'd want it to through uh, two games here. I mean, the game against Bowling Green felt very similar to the game we saw the week before, uh, but a little cleaner. Uh, certainly for the defense, it was a pitch to shutout, which is always nice to see. Uh, those don't happen all that often for any team. Um, and so when you can go out and completely blank a team, even when your defenders are you're getting into the second string defense, that's quite an accomplishment. And the offense looked sharp as ever. And, man, we look like some of those 90s Nebraska teams in terms of just who were just steamrolling yeah. guys on the ground. Yeah, K-State ran the ball uh, 58 times for 333 yards, a 5.5-yard uh, 5.7 to be exact, uh, yard per carry average. Five touchdowns on the ground, led uh, by James Gilbert. Uh, very efficient, eight carries for 103 yards uh, with two scores. So, man, I gotta say, I really like watching James Gilbert run. Do you? Yeah, because he does that. First of all, his legs seem too like a little too long for his body. You know? Yeah, he's not real big. <laughs> well, I think he's listed like five eight, five nine, maybe. Yeah. So I mean, he, he, not he, real tall. And when he runs, it's like his legs kind of jumpstart him a little bit sometimes. Well, like you'd expect, but yeah. he, he kind of kicks high with his feet sometimes. I don't know. He, it's just a unique way of running the ball. Would you say it's very unique? I would not. Oh, um, okay. But it's not that unique. It's as unique as anything else that's unique. Is. It's as unique as unique gets. Right. Okay. And in any event... No, I, I just it's a treat watching him run because he's shifty and he kind of he's kind of built like John Huber, but he his he does that thing with his legs that I just think's great. Well, you know, uh, we'll talk about his legs as well as the legs of some other running backs here because uh, he wasn't the only one that got into the action. But uh, let's just kind of start here. I think you have to leave with the defense uh, pitching a shutout, uh, the first shutout uh, that K State has pitched uh, since a twenty. 20- 14 game against the Texas Longhorns, shutting them out uh, 23 to nothing. So with that being said, um, you have to really think this defense uh, is playing, you know, at, at as good of a level as you could ask for as uh, K-State enters uh, their toughest game of the season uh, so far to date uh, as they go on the road to Mississippi State. Yeah, I mean, it looks good. I know there were some concerns coming into the into the season with some of the various levels, particularly uh, linebacker and some concerns in the secondary. But after two games, I, I don't want to say that, I mean, those concerns are far from being addressed. I mean, I don't think anybody's thinking that this is, that these two performances are going to be consistent with how the results we see throughout the season. But it's what you want to see at this point. 
Um, it would be more concerning if Bowling Green and um, why am I blanking on Nichols? First? Nichols, thank you. Uh, if they'd been running all over us uh, or passing for a bunch of yards, and we just kind of had flukes where we kept them out of the end zone, but to go out and have the performance that the K State defense had on Saturday, especially when it's not aided by you know four or five turnovers or something sure. crazy like that. The defense didn't force any turnovers on Saturday. There was only one turnover uh, by Bowling Green, and that came on the kickoff that went sideways for the Falcons. Uh, but otherwise, it was just good stout defense, um, solid tackling, and good pass defense, and even saw some uh, quarterback pressures. Yeah, and you know when you look at just the just looking from a pure numbers standpoint on this game, uh, Bowling Green 140 yards of total offense, 79 through the air, 61 on the ground. Um, I mean, this was as dominating of a performance as, as it really gets uh, in college football. K State held Bowling Green to 0 uh, of 11 on third down conversions and uh, 0 and 2 on fourth down conversions. So able to get off the field uh, is, of course, one of, I think, the most important things that a defense uh, can do. I think, you know, obviously that, that stands to reason. But when you have them on, on third and maybe a third and five, third and, uh, third and, I guess, five or shorter, if you can get off the field there, that's a big win because uh, obviously it um, gets your offense back out there and uh, can can nip some of those drives in the bud uh, before they get uh, you know too far down there. So you you win that field position game as well. Um, so let's uh, I guess in terms of defense here, is there anyone you want to kind of take a deeper dive that maybe someone that caught your eye uh, in particular uh, on Saturday? You know, I liked what Jordan Mitty was giving us on Saturday. That's a guy that hasn't really stuck out to be a premier player on this defense uh, during his time here so far. But I thought on Saturday he played uh, very well, got into the backfield some, and did a good job against that Bowling Green rushing attack. Thought uh, Daniel Green, who records K-State's first sack of the season, thought he uh, looked good in the, in the moments he was out there. Um, of course, with the linebacking core, as we've mentioned, uh, probably the outside of maybe cornerback, the level of the defense – uh, or the position on the defense, I should say, that is probably lacking at depth. And with Daniel Green uh, really being the, th- the third linebacker, someone that would uh, replace either Sullivan or Patton if they were to um, you know miss some time with injury or, or need a series off, you have to like what you've seen so far from him. So it's, it's been good to watch him uh, as he's developed here this year. That's right. And uh, Daniel Green uh, officially recorded – K-State's first and, at this point, only sack of the season on Saturday, bringing down uh, Darius Wade, uh, Bowling Green's quarterback. And uh, so that's encouraging to see as well. Yep, absolutely. So let's transition out of the offense. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this game just because it was a, it was a laugher as K-State rolls comfortably. Uh, offense super balanced, 188 yards through the air. Uh, maybe not super balanced, but super efficient through the air. I guess I should say as they, as they you know, roll up uh, you know over 500 yards of total offense uh, f- for the second straight week. Also had a great uh, time of possession. Uh, I know that was something that I had uh, mentioned last week. 
nearly 43 minutes uh, of possession for K-State uh, on Saturday against Bowling Green. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, you know shakes out throughout the rest of the season. But uh, another week, and let's start at the, uh, with the, uh, the head of the snake, so to speak, uh, with uh, Skylar Thompson, another super efficient day. Uh, not asked to do a ton in terms of throwing the ball through the air, but 10 of 13, two touchdowns, and uh, just super efficient, like I said. That's right. Uh, Thompson continues to have a very good showing early in the season. And one interesting point um, from the quarterbacks, 14 of 19, that includes uh, Austin Holcomb's uh, combined four completions, but to seven different Wildcat receivers. Yeah, a lot of guys got in the, got in the mix. That's right, so that's nice to see. Uh, but as far as Thompson goes, just very, very solid. Um, you can kind of see him. One thing that stuck out to me on Saturday is that you can see the chemistry starting to build between him and Knowles. Yeah, uh, especially. yeah. I was going to say he had a really nice throw and catch to him for a touchdown there in the in that uh, north end zone. Very well-placed ball, and, and uh, of course with Gill, or not Gill, excuse me, with Knowles uh, having... Uh, you know, dropped a, a touchdown pass last last week. Um, seeing him be able to re, kind of redeem himself there on, on a nice throw was, was good to see. That's right. And what's clear, what's easy to see on that, I believe it was the second touchdown pass that uh, Thompson threw to Knowles on Saturday. Um, when opposing defenses are playing press coverage up on Knowles, I mean, that was a no-doubter for him. Mm-hmm. He just went right to him. Because that was the play where it was the fourth and one play. And if you if you rewatch that play, so let me break it down for you. K-State's at about the 40-yard line, fourth down and one. And we have somebody in the slot running an out past the sticks. I believe it was a fourth and one. It may have been a little bit longer than that. But our slot guy is running the out past the sticks, and he was open. Thompson could have completed that throw for five-yard gain and picked up the first down, and honestly, that's prob- that probably would have been the wise move, but he saw that Knowles had press coverage and was going to be in one-on-one, and it was that's where he was looking the whole way. And it was he didn't take much time. He didn't go through a progression. It was, if this is the defense on Knowles, this is where I'm throwing it, and I'm throwing it to Knowles. And so uh, that was the home run. And so it's nice to be able to see that trust start building between these two um, integral parts of K-State's offense and parts of the offense that were really lacking last year. Yeah, and, and this is one thing we had, I had mentioned last week. If, if K-State's really going to uh, really push their uh, win total to where they're able to uh, compete for – uh, you know, bigger things than just a bowl game, but try to get up there into that. Uh, you play some meaningful games in terms of uh, a conference title appearance uh, potentially in the uh, in the second half of the season and into November. If they're going to get there, it's going to have to be through some explosive plays by the wide receivers. We're going to have to find those ways to be explosive in offense, and uh, rather than just having ten play drives, because that's not going to always you know work out for you, but. You see a little bit of that with Knowles. He does have that potential. I think if there is a a big play guy at the wide receiver position, he's our best bet there. Yeah, we may see some other guys uh, develop into having that kind of threat throughout the season. Um, but 
for now, it's definitely Knowles. Um, and especially for a guy who, as you mentioned, struggled in week one a little catching the football. Man, that catch he had on the sideline where he reeled it in and really stretched out for mm-hmm. it. Yeah, where great he, catch. He's basically just lateral to the ground, laying on the ground, in fact. And for him to to uh, reel that in has to inspire a lot of confidence in Skylar Thompson. Yeah, great um Great, uh, great step there for Knowles as he as he continues to gain confidence, and also good for Skyler to you know keep going back to him. Of course, uh, I, I think it's well uh, apparent to uh, both Skyler as well as um, probably most K State fans that it, uh, Knowles is one of the better playmakers on the team, and uh, we're going to need him this season. So let's go back. I just want to hit uh, quickly on on two guys, uh, Joe Irvin and Jacardia Wright. Both got some action. Uh, true freshman running backs. Um, Wright led the way actually with 14 carries, uh, with Irvin um, right there at eight uh, behind him. Joe Irvin gets in the touch, gets uh, gets in the end zone uh, with his first real action at running back, and uh, Wright, you know, four yards of carry, nothing nothing too, super spectacular, but showed a physical presence. Uh, were you able to glean anything from their performances? Well, mostly with Wright. Um, that's a guy who's got a lot of, uh, praise and certainly has, looks the part, um, runs straight up and down. Very straight up and down. Right now, needs to work on his technique. That was my initial, uh, take on him is, I mean, this guy looks like he's, Um, like, got, like, a a pole in his back that he can't, you know, get shifty on it. He's gonna want to change that or else it's gonna, um lead to some ugly hits on him and not to mention some inefficient running but that's a guy that some people were thinking might move to linebacker at one point and who knows maybe that's the case but for now coaches like him at running back and um the tandem of Wright and Irvin in the future could be yeah it could be a nice compliment a little uh thunder and lightning well and the other thing too is of course, uh, as our listeners may or may not know, the last two years, uh, freshmen get four – or not just freshmen, but any player gets four uh, four games for free, essentially, before they have to either declare um, a red shirt or not. So, with that being said, most likely that both of those guys probably red shirt this year, but – uh, nice little glimpse in terms of in terms of seeing these guys in some actual game action. You know, oftentimes you see true freshmen. The only time you're ever going to see them really play is during the spring game uh, in, in years past, and uh, that's not necessarily the case with the with the new rules and the in the new regime. That's right. So happy to see the young guys get some totes. Um, one guy we've already mentioned three running backs, but it I think uh, the performance of Jordan Brown sure. uh, bears mention. Uh, anytime you go. Uh, for 64 yards with four carries. I think that's pretty nice. But I watched that touchdown run he had, that 50-yarder uh, that he, I believe was our first touchdown in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched that. I must have watched that play 30 times uh, on Sunday. And just watching how the block set up, and it's just a thing of beauty. I mean, it's just exactly how that play is supposed to be run. And so credit to Jordan Brown, but mostly credit to the uh, – to the offensive line who uh, set that up. That's a pulling center who's exploding through the hole 
But, man, I think Jordan Brown is our fastest running back. Yeah, I, I would agree with that completely. Because he just blazed right through that hole and down the sideline, and it was, I mean, he was could have been in the end zone five yards after uh, the line of scrimmage. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, getting uh, getting the way paid for him by the, the big uglies up front um, goes a long way uh, in, in, you know, K-State success on the ground. I mean, they're, the offensive line play, we could go on and on about that, but through two games has been, has been really well. Uh, really well uh, served, and, and give a credit there to uh, to Connor Riley as he's uh, done a good job with that unit so far this season. So, Dilo, I think that pretty much wraps up uh, Bowling Green. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, there's one thing. Um, you know, you look at the box score of this, and you say this is a dominating performance, and let's move on. But special teams icon. A little shaky. A little shaky on Saturday. Philip Brooks, CM Punk, you're on notice. Yeah. Clean it up. Yeah, a little, little, uh, some nervous moments there, obviously, in a game that. Maybe K-State the sun went, got in his eyes, but. Yeah. Obviously, in a game that K State wins 52 0, if, if uh, a, a muff punt uh, is the. Uh, well, two. Two muff punts. Well, yes, but if, if a muff punt is what the biggest thing you're, you're, you're concerned about in a 52 0 game. Yeah, things are pretty good. Well, to that icon, I'd point you, I'd direct you to goal number four. Oh, improve. Oh, well, you know that's I get better I, every day. I look at myself in the mirror every day and, and try to you know do goal number four better each day. That's right. Improve upon goal number four. So, well, I think that wraps it up here for Bowling Green. Let's uh, do a quick transition here into uh, the like as I mentioned the uh, the game of the. Um, Game of the week here in the Big 12, as far as I'm concerned. Pay no attention to Iowa State, Iowa. They got college game day, but, you know, we've got... Pay uh, no attention to Oklahoma State, Tulsa. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried TCU, about Purdue. Nah. Trash. The, the game, at least in my eye, of the week in the Big 12 is K-State versus Mississippi State. K-State goes to Starkville about a 7.5, 8-point underdog, depending on where you look at and uh, this is going to be the Wildcats' toughest, uh, toughest test so far this season. Yeah, this is a real put-up-or-shut-up opportunity for K-State where, uh, you know, I think a lot of Wildcats fans are riding pretty high, which is easy to do after you come into a season with measured expectations. Sure. Um, very reasonable. I don't think any, any Cats fans thought this was a do-or-die season by any stretch in terms of getting to a bowl game. Um, but after two weeks where K-State has come out and looked as strong as they've looked, I think that the game on Saturday is a test for um, the team, but also K-State fans to kind of try to figure out, okay, well, how good are we? What should we expect? Because this is a game where if K-State wins this game, um, you know, expectations are instantly redefined. Yeah, I especially agree with that. I mean, including myself. Sure. Because this is a game that every K-State fan before the season, at least every reasonable K-State fan was circling as an L. Yeah. Um and I think that if you would have told K-State fans, "Hey, listen, you guys are going to be about a touchdown underdog in this game coming into the season." K-State fans would have said, "That's it." Yeah. I would agree with that. And so absolutely. The performance so far by K-State has captured the attention of not only K-State fans, but also neutral observers out in the desert. 
And yeah. Their opinion counts. Well, like I said, K-State, through two games, has looked as good as you can, uh, really. And Mississippi State, maybe not quite there yet. Uh, you know, this is a defense that has lost a lot of the, the talent. Uh, Jonathan, Abraham, or Jonathan Abram, uh, Montez Sweat, and uh, Jeffrey Simmons, three first-round picks off that defense that was in Manhattan last year that really shut K-State down really from the get-go. And uh, this defense is a little bit shakier this year, and uh, we'll get into that uh, here shortly with our guest. Uh, is there anything else you'd kind of like to, to preface uh, here? Yeah, I would. I would just like to draw Wildcats fans' attention back to a game that I think this is a little analogous to. And I, I saw some people talking about this on Twitter on Sunday, but this has a very similar feel to Miami 2011 coming into okay. it. Because at that point, it was... I, I would agree with that. I, I saw some folks saying, oh, this is kind of like the 2014 team where we go on the road. Well, I don't think that's... to Van- I, I saw some about that on the message boards. Well, that was uh, that was not 14. That was... Or, 2000, or 2017. Yeah, that's right. Uh, pardon me. But that 2017 team had some expectations going into Yeah, season. we were... I believe that team was ranked. Yes, they were ranked going into that game. Top, so, top 20. Yeah, we were probably favored in that Vanderbilt game, uh, or at least close to it, but I would have thought we would have been We were favored. And, um, but in 2011, we had the stinker against Eastern Kentucky where we won by, I think we won 10-7. Mm-hmm. And then we came out and beat the blew the doors off of Kent, Kent State. State. Yep. Um, and then that Miami game was viewed as, okay, this is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody back then thought that, K-State really ought to win this game. And I don't think anybody now thinks that K-State really ought to win this game down in Starkville. But it's it's just an opportunity where you go into it and you say, gosh, I hope we don't get blown out. Yeah. Um, I think I would be disappointed if we put up a, a showing similar to what we put up last year against Mississippi State at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can hang out, hang in there and compete with them and have it be a 10-point margin... Uh, if we lose, I think K-State fans can walk away from that feeling okay about where this team and program is. But, man, if K-State can go down to Starkville and come away with a W, then that then the program will be as hot as it's been since 2012. I mean, it, at least in terms of my personal excitement and optimism about the state of the program. Um, so a real opportunity for K-State... Uh, similar to what we saw in 2011, where we go down to Miami, we pull out a victory, and all of a sudden it's all right. We're, Let's roll. We're in. Yeah, yeah. Let's roll. So, I agree. I think it's very similar to that game, and I, I'm glad you brought that up. So, well, without any further ado, here we're going to bring uh, in our uh, guest here, uh, Matt Wyatt, who is the color commentator, uh, the radio analyst uh, for uh, Mississippi State football. Uh, he does a does a great job there, a former Mississippi State quarterback uh, as well. So uh, after a short break, uh, we'll bring on Matt and uh, get his thoughts here on uh, K-State versus Mississippi State. Back after this. All right, we are now being joined by Matt Wyatt. He is the radio uh, analyst for Mississippi State football, uh, a former quarterback for the Bulldogs, and uh, the host of the Matt Wyatt Show on ESPN 105.9 The Zone in Jackson, Mississippi. 
Uh, he's no doubt a busy man, but he finds some time to join us today on the short side option. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Yeah, doing great, guys. It's good to join you. And um, uh, it, it's it's fun to be uh, kind of previewing this game with just a few days to go as opposed to months. We've been talking about it all summer and, and really enjoyed the trip to Manhattan last year. Uh, it was my first time to to see it all in person. And stadium was beautiful. I was really impressed. You know, the fan base was great. And I still say I think it's the nicest press box that I've been in and, and most well thought out. It, so last year was a great experience. And, and, you know, of course, our team won. But I, I hope we have another good game this year. Well, it's uh, it's no doubt a renovated. It's probably one of the newer press boxes uh, in the country. And they, they got that put up. Uh, before the start of the 2013 season. So I, I'm glad to hear that. I haven't had the chance to really move around up there too much, but uh, I'm glad that it was uh, a good experience for it in the Little Apple. Yeah, um, I can tell you, you know, there's little things that were very well thought out. Like, for instance, um, we're sitting there in our radio broadcast booth, and you obviously have like a desk or, or a counter, you know, in front of you that reaches over to the window that you sit your computer on and your stuff. But on the underside of that, there in the press box, they have just a slot um, that is for, you know, you get all these game notes, right? On game day, you're getting rosters and flip cards and stats. Yeah, they're handing you about 15 pieces of paper before yeah, the game Yeah, you've been up there, Drew, so. Yeah, right. and so, I was up there probably with you last year. Right, and so it was like, i like, what a great idea. They've given me like a little slot in the desk to stick all this paper so that it's not just strode out on top. It's just the little things, and. I actually pointed that out to our uh, athletics director at state, John Cohen. And he goes, yeah, let me get a picture of that. So he like takes a picture with his phone and that we were snapping things because, you, you know, getting ideas because at state uh, at Davis Wade stadium, they're going to renovate that West side and okay. new press box and stuff at some point in the next five years. And so I think they, they were taking a few ideas from uh, Bill Snyder stadium. Well, uh, hopefully those uh, uh, solutions and, and amenities get added for you. Uh, it'll, it's no doubt a nice uh, nice addition to the stadium. So, well, let's go ahead and get into the game here, Matt. Uh, two 2-0 teams uh, here as we get out of the gate. Mississippi State has a, has a new quarterback with Penn State uh, grad transfer, Tommy Stevens, uh, taking over for uh, Nick Fitzgerald. Uh, so far, Stevens has been really sharp. Uh, did leave the Southern Miss game early with an injury. Uh, but with Stevens as a as a better passer uh, than what Fitzgerald was last year, or at least it looks like uh, so far uh, to the eye, how uh, does Coach Joe Moorhead uh, look to maybe run his offense a little bit differently in 2019 than he did in 2018? Yeah, I think that already um, in in the first two games they've been a lot more balanced, you know, and kind of dual threat than they were for the most part last year. Um, the past game never really got worked into, um, you know, consistent shape a year ago. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Y'all know that, you know, Nick Fitzgerald, a big, strong athlete, excellent runner. Um, you know, everybody just had a terrible time trying to tackle him throughout his career. And he set an SEC record for rushing as a quarterback and all that stuff. But last season, it was a deal where fall practice was the first time that Nick was actually able to go through the full practices and 11 on 11 because the spring prior he was recovering from that leg break that he had in the final game of 2017 and he just was way behind and so because of that especially in the first half of the year they were so inconsistent in the past game they just couldn't do stuff consistently 
And defenses really you know, picked up on that early and they'd stack the box, play a lot of man coverage, and really try to tackle the run game. And it's just been, it has looked like an entirely different offense um, to the naked eye almost in, in fall camp this year and in the first two games with Tommy Stevens because he came in, Stevens came in here already with a lot of practices and a lot of snaps in the Joe Moorhead offense under his belt because they were together for two years at Penn State in 2016 and 17. And um, Tommy in 2016 had a really close preseason battle with uh, Trace McSorley. McSorley won the job. They named the starter right before the first game. The people at Penn State who were there then would tell you that it was such a close competition that had they actually named Tommy Stevens the starter that first week, not a lot of people on the team would have been very surprised. It was really close. Well, with Tommy, the backup in 16, Moorhead immediately started playing him, just not at quarterback. It was, he was this 6'4 athlete who could run. You know, they, they handed him the ball. They, they lined him up at receiver. He caught touchdown passes that year in Big Ten games. And then the same thing is sophomore year. And then Joe left, was at Mississippi State last year, and Tommy was still there at Penn State, but the offense didn't really change at Penn State. They used the same terminology. So all that to say, the day that Tommy Stevens showed up in Starkville, he already had just a really strong grasp of the terminology he was going to be using in this offense, the reads, the way they're taught, what the expectation was from Moorhead, the way he calls stuff. And so he just had a head start, and he is accurate. Um, he's really, really good in the RPO stuff in terms of timing, reading it without hesitation and getting the ball out on time so guys have a chance to catch it and make yards. And and so the pass catchers have been better because they're expecting the ball. So he's just really made a difference here early on. And when he went out with that shoulder injury in the Southern Miss game last week, it was kind of a punch in the gut until you learn that you know, we don't know the total seriousness of it, but we feel pretty good about it that you know he's got a chance to play this weekend depending on how he feels and that it's ultimately not a long-term thing. Um, but pretty much, to sum all that up, the day he got to Starkville, he made the offense better. And, you know, Matt, just to follow up on that real quick, uh, Garrett Schrader uh, filled in for him, filled in real well, too, uh, for uh, Stevens as he left. For, for K-State fans that might not be as familiar, I mean, I think most college football fans at least were familiar with Tommy Stevens mm-hmm. uh, at, at Penn State. What does uh, Garrett Schrader bring to the table uh, as if, if he's pressed into duty and does Mississippi State really change much offensively uh, game plan-wise with, uh, with Schrader in there? Yeah, that's a good question. I think they probably, you know, let's just say if, you're, if the offense were in the neighborhood of 50-50 run pass with Tommy in there, um, because you have an outstanding tailback in Kylan Hill, and you know the offense kind of goes through him too. Um, if it's 50-50 with Tommy, it's going to lean a little more heavy run if Schrader is in there. Um, and that's kind of the way it looked last week. Uh, Schrader is a true freshman. He's from Charlotte, North Carolina. He has been recruited by Joe Moorhead since he was in the ninth grade. He, he committed early to Moorhead at Penn State, switched that up, when uh, I believe that's the right thing, he switched it up when Moorhead went to state. I, I know that ultimately the first commitment that Joe Moorhead ever got in recruiting was Garrett Schrader. And he's this big, tall, 6'4", 220-pound kid who he really does have that, that prototypical big, strong arm, like just born with it, I guess. You know, as a true freshman, he's making these – 
uh, far hash throws to the opposite sideline with ease. Um, and he runs the ball pretty well. And he's also a kid who has this great confidence. He's kind of already sort of becoming legendary as this freshman who every room he walks in, he thinks he owns it, you know, and he, <laughs> he's got this great big, you know, Jeremiah Johnson beard. They joke with him about looking Amish and all this kind of stuff, you know, and he says he's not going to trim the beard. And last week his helmet popped off a couple of times and Joe Moorhead blamed it on that big beard. He said, if it happens one more time, we're going to shave it, you know? So, um, but that's him. He can run the offense. He engineered three scoring drives when he went in the game. Uh, he threw the ball, I think 11 times completed seven of those. So he's 60 plus in his first game. So they feel like they're capable of winning with him, even as a true freshman. But I would tell you, if he plays, if Schrader plays, it's going to be a more run-heavy offense. Matt, hi, this is uh, Drew. Um, Obviously, uh, Tommy Stevens, as we've talked about, I uh, had the chance to watch some of your uh, film breakdowns on YouTube, and I'd encourage every K-State fan that's into this sort of thing to go over and check out your page because they're very good. And I came away from those just very impressed with, uh, more than anything, Tommy uh, Stevens' decision-making and the speed at which he's asked to uh, go through his reads within you know, milliseconds of, the line, of getting up to the line of scrimmage. Um, and then on, So you have Stevens, you have Kylan Hill, who we'll get to, but K-State fans will remember him as the back that uh, ran and caught about 277 yards last year in Manhattan. Um, but uh, some of the other weapons that Mississippi State has uh, beyond those two, obviously K-State uh, fans are familiar with Isaiah Zuber, the wide receiver transfer uh, who transferred from Manhattan uh, down to Starkville last year. But who are some of the other guys on this offense that will likely have their names called out on Saturday? Yeah, the receiver that has caught the ball a lot and had the big plays in the offense so far um, is Osiris Mitchell. He wears number five and he's really a, a big kid. He's like six, six long arms, you know, weighs in that two fifty range. I'm sorry, two fifteen range. And um, it's just a really long, tall jumper. That's hard to cover in certain situations like that. And what happens is, or has happened in the first two games Mitchell is starting at one wide out opposite of Stephen Gidry, who wears number one and is another tall kid, 6'4 and about 210. Gidry uh, had a third down conversion in the Kansas State, State game last year. He caught some passes. And there's really high hopes for Gidry. He's a former number one JUCO recruit, number one wide receiver in the country recruit, uh, originally committed to LSU when JUCO wound up at Mississippi State. And because of his talent, in these first two games, he's getting some attention. Teams have put their best corner in most situations on Stephen Gidry. And so what it's done is given the other guy on the other side, Osiris Mitchell, some favorable matchups. So Mitchell has more catches. He's got eight catches so far this year. Two of those have been for touchdowns. And so he has looked in some ways kind of a favorite target of Tommy Stevens. But it's really just he's taking what um, the defense is giving him. And they're catching the football. Zuber... Um, impressed me in fall practice, in scrimmages. You know, he was really good at the jump ball stuff when they give him some one-on-one opportunities in the end zone. You just get the ball around him. He just caught everything. He really caught the ball effectively. And I think just an older guy, another guy in the room, he sort of amped up the competition. 
with some of the other players. They're primarily playing Zuber in the slot, um, primarily, but they're moving him around a little bit. And he's gotten uh, some catches so far. I guess three catches so far this year. They got a bunch of guys who they're targeting, and they're really spreading the football around. Yeah, that uh, catch that Mitchell had uh, against Southern Miss last week on that skinny post uh, where he just rose up and caught the ball what looked like about eight or nine feet above yeah. the ground. That's uh, that's an intimidating sight for any secondary. Well, it is, and you know he's just one who. Um, he started playing so young as a freshman, and you could see the potential. That's why he was out there. He had this great potential. And I just think with a guy like Stevens throwing him the football, the light bulb is really starting to come on for him. And I do think he's going to be a red zone threat. Just he's so tall. He's so long. Um, but they've, they've got some length out there and some talent. Their slot guys catch the ball really, really well. So, you know, it's it's hard to – it's hard for it's going to be hard for defenses to focus on just one guy because they have actually you know multiple weapons on the perimeter. Well, uh, no doubt that they do have some serious talent uh, at the edges, and of course with uh, Kylan Hill, uh, K State's going to have their work cut out uh, when when uh, Mississippi State has the ball. Uh, we're on here with uh, Matt Wyatt, uh, the radio analyst for Mississippi State football, and uh, Matt, I want to switch uh, sides of the ball here a little bit, talk about Mississippi State defensively. Uh, obviously lost a ton of talent last year. Uh, three guys who were first-round draft picks uh, off that defense last year, which was one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, defensively so far here in 2019, Mississippi State has has taken a little bit of a step back, which is to be expected when you replace that kind of talent. Mm-hmm. With what K-State does offensively, uh, built really behind a power running scheme, how do you feel uh, Mississippi State matches up uh, with K-State when the Wildcats have the ball? Well, on paper, I don't think they match up very well, to be honest with you. Um, and like you said, if we were having this discussion last year, then um, I think it would be a terrible mismatch against last year's personnel for somebody to have a power run game, right? But it, it, this is this year, and the strength of that defense has kind of flipped a little bit. Here's what I mean by that. They have players on the back end of their defense that are big-time talents, and some are going to be you know, drafted very highly. Cam Dantzler, the cornerback, big, tall corner, he's a threat to be a high second, first-round pick if he, if he plays well. Brian Cole, the safety, a threat to move into that first round and really high on him. you got a couple of linebackers, uh, Errol Thompson, who's going to be a high draft pick for somebody. But you're talking about the back end of your defense, right? And... Off one defensive front from last year, they lose those two first-rounders, Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat, who they just you didn't play too many teams who could block those guys last year. And so, but it's not just those two. You also had two other senior defensive tackles who played a lot of snaps, graduated. One's with the Dolphins now, Corey Thomas. One is with the Titans and Braxton Hoyette. So they were pretty loaded on that defensive front last year. And now it's youth. Last week against Southern Miss, they started two freshman defensive tackles. They're big-time recruits, Fabian Lovett and Jaden Crumity. Uh, they wear number 54 and number 84. And especially Crumity, 84, is one of those guys who, like, you know, the old saying, you want them to get off the bus first on the road. You want people to see him, <laughs> you know, and they look the part. But they're freshmen starting at defensive tackle. They're kind of learning on the fly. And in that line of scrimmage game, when you've gone through it for the or going through it for the first time, you take your lumps. You know, you you really take your lumps. There's also a depth concern 
on the defensive front because, you know, again, the school has not confirmed it and won't, but the rumor is that their best defensive tackle, Lee Autry, number 90, is one of those players who has to sit out eight games um, at some point this year. He missed the first game, and then he played last week against Southern Miss. So depending on who's out there, you might have depth concerns also. So I believe that um, I believe Kansas State's going to be able to run the ball. They're going to go up and down the field some running the football against that state defense. Um, and I, I think that state's defense this year, when they play teams like Kansas State who can run the ball, they're going to give up some rush yards, and it'll be a defense that has to, you know, when the field shortens in the red zone, then you make some plays, you hit some quarterbacks, and you cause some turnovers, that, which is really what they've done. They've caused a lot of turnovers in these first two ball games. Yeah, watching uh, watching your film breakdowns, I couldn't help but think to myself that if K State uh, is going to have some success in this game, it's likely going to be uh, on the shoulder of the running backs. Um, right. Whether that's running the ball, and I've also seen uh, teams had a little bit of success throwing uh, out of the backfield as well against the Mississippi State defense. Yeah, that's it. Because you know that happened in the first game against uh, Louisiana. Which that's a Sun Belt team, but I think they're a pretty good football team. They won their division of the Sun Belt last year and returned pretty much everybody. And their first two running backs on that team are going to be uh, guys who'll get shots, legitimate shots with NFL teams, like very talented. And they used a lot of motion to do a lot of things and get guys out of position uh, laterally, horizontally, a lot of speed sweep motion, speed motion. They would give it some, and then a lot of play action to get people involved, you know, jumping on the the perceived run game and then slipping that running back out of the backfield. They had a bunch of yards and receptions for running backs in that game because linebackers were out of position. So I would guarantee you that that film is something that Kansas State is really, really studying going into this game. Well, uh, K-State has shown a little bit more this year in terms of screen game uh, than they have in the past and getting those running backs involved. So definitely something to keep an eye on uh, on Saturday as the Wildcats, uh, you know, are going to have to move the ball offensively. This is a big step up in, in pedigree here for K-State as they uh, took care of Nichols and Bowling Green early on, but uh, definitely a much tougher test uh, with the Bulldogs on Saturday. Uh, here with Matt Wyatt, uh, the radio analyst for Mississippi State. Uh, Matt, before we let you go here, we do a little something on the short side option called three and out. I'm going to give you th three quick questions and uh, curious to hear what your responses are on these. Okay. So, are you, you looking for short answers or because I tend to get long winded? <laughs> you, you can be you can be as long as you need to, Matt. Okay. Uh, right. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you uh, played quarterback at Mississippi State. You've obviously broadcasted around the SEC for a while. Uh, pretty familiar with that part of the world. Uh, whether it's during your playing days or uh, covering the team as an analyst, uh, what's the toughest road game environment uh, that you've been a part of? Toughest road game environment. Man, um, uh, there are a couple of things that jump out. Number one would be the first game that I ever actually started. I was a freshman. That would have been way back in 1996, and it was at South Carolina at a time when they had some pretty good teams, and so there were about 90,000 people in there, 80 to 90. And a close game. We won it, but there were some times in the fourth quarter we were backed up. And that stadium tends to get really, really loud when it's full. That was a tough road environment just from a communication standpoint. 
And um, uh, I would say the other was uh, the next year, my sophomore year, we went to Georgia and just got killed at Georgia in Athens. And I threw an interception to Champ Bailey. And uh, I came to the sideline and I sat on the bench, which is in front of the Georgia student section. And in unison, they all began chanting, why it sucks just over and over again. And it was so loud, you know, and it's like, it's just, it's not only penetrating your hearing, it's like going right down into your soul. And that was a tough, tough environment, partly because the day was going so, so poorly. So I'd have to say at South Carolina and at Georgia. Okay. Well, that's an interesting perspective as, as of course, a player and uh, a broadcaster. So I, I am interested by hearing that answer. That's, that's good stuff there. Uh, for K-State fans that might be making uh, the trip down to Starkville, I know you said you enjoy your time in Manhattan. Uh, do you have any you know, restaurant, bar recommendations or, or things to do around the area? Yeah, um, there is. Um, uh, they'll notice that there is a, a little community that's part of campus. It's pretty much part of campus called the Cotton District. And it's on University Drive, which is connected directly to campus. And it's a short, maybe a couple hundred yards walk. Um, from the tailgating area right by the stadium. Um, but there's some places to eat there. Uh, there's a restaurant there called Ben 612. And then there's a place where we do our post-game radio show called Bulldog Burger, which um, is really good food. And there's usually a crowd there after the game. So maybe look up the Cotton District because it is in, within walking distance, like you say, of the stadium and of the tailgating area uh, right around the stadium. I would recommend that. And you know, and, and also if you're making the trip, I would give a heads up. It's supposed to be like really stifling hot um, on on Saturday here. You know, temperatures way up in the 90s. And just before I got on here with you guys, I got an email from uh, the university. They've sent out some more stuff about heat advisory initiatives. They're going to have extra water. And the other thing uh, for Kansas State fans, if you're coming, I would just give you a heads up. You know, this is one of those places where every entrance you have to go through a metal detector um, and and they have the clear bag policy, you know, to get in the stadium. And last week, that was the first home game. I think they had them a little understaffed, so they'll be better staffed and a little better coordinated this week. But a lot of fans waited until really the last, you know, 15, 20 minutes to try to enter the stadium. And so there were these bottlenecks where a lot of stadium, a lot of fans were outside of the stadium still when the game started. So I would just advise, try to go on in there early so that you don't get stuck at one of those metal detectors. Some good local insight uh, here from Matt. And finally, Matt, uh, last uh, question. Again, we appreciate you coming on with us today, uh, but I'll let you get out of here with this. Uh, what's your prediction for how uh, things will unfold? Of course, two teams go in at 2-0. Uh, only one can leave undefeated. Uh, how do you see Saturday's game shaking out? Yeah, I think it's going to be a much more competitive you know, closer ball game than what you had last year uh, in Manhattan. And I think Kansas State is better. I think Mississippi State on defense is not as good as they were. I think State's better on offense, though. So for that reason, I actually expect a, a high-scoring game. I think both teams are going to score points. Kansas State's going to run the ball. Um, if Tommy Stevens plays, I think you guys are going to see that, I mean, the kid is really, really good. And um, State's going to throw the ball pretty well. And Kylan Hill kind of get his. They're very balanced. So I kind of expect a high-scoring game. But being in Starkville, being that it is going to be brutally hot and humid, and I think the, the Mississippi State kids maybe are a little more conditioned to that just because they've practiced in it a little more. 
Um, I would give the advantage to Mississippi State. But I think it's going to be a close, high-scoring, fun game to watch. Well, it'll certainly be uh, interesting to see uh, unfold. I think K-State fans are are feeling pretty optimistic going in in terms of uh, mm-hmm. being a much more competitive game, as you said, uh, okay. than what took place last year. So it will be interesting to see. I think it's one of the best games of the week uh, here in college football, uh, week three. So uh, like you, I'm, I'm very excited to see uh, how things will transpire. Yeah, I am too. We're, we're, I can just tell you people in this state and you know, around town are really looking forward to it because, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you played an in-state school last week in Southern Miss, but Kansas State is one of those programs, you know, big Power 5 school from a Power 5 conference coming into town. And you hadn't had that. The last time a Big 12 team visited Davis Wade Stadium was 1999 when Oklahoma State came in there. So people are excited to host a Big 12 team and and looking forward to it. Well, maybe these uh, conferences were onto something when they started this Power 5 scheduling (laughs) initiative because uh, they've been a lot of fun to watch over these last couple of years. I I totally agree. And, you know, and I would I would say that I am in lockstep with guys like Nick Saban who are saying that we need to play more of these, you know, and it's nothing against the FCS schools and the Sunbelt schools on the schedule. It's just the game is progressing. And I think fans want this. The the demand is, is reaching it now where we got to have the supply and we got to move on up to where instead of, you know, just one SEC team on your schedule or one big 12 team on ours, we got to have more of it and play more 10, 11, maybe even 12 games against Power 5 schools. That's my opinion. Well, that's something uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on here as the as the college landscape uh, continues to change. But, uh, Matt, thank you again uh, for coming on with us. We really appreciate it, and uh, we look forward to uh, hearing more of your analysis and your videos and uh, keep it up with you throughout the rest of the season. Guys, thank you all very much. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, that was Matt Wyatt, uh, color commentator, radio analyst for Mississippi State football. Of course, uh, also you can listen to his show, The Matt Wyatt Show, on ESPN Radio 105.9 as you may be driving down uh, to Starkville. Uh, Drew, obviously got some great insight there from Matt uh, in terms of what Mississippi State has uh, here in 2019. Of course, K-State fans are uh, familiar with really a a beatdown that took place last year in Manhattan, uh, a game that Mississippi State controlled really throughout from what he was able to kind of glean uh, with us, what do you take away from uh, what Mississippi State presents to us uh, here on Saturday? Well, yeah, I mean, compared to last year, it just looked like men against boys. It really did. For most that, of the game. I mean, and, and that was, to interrupt you real quick, that was the first game that I have remembered since. Uh, that was It was not nearly as bad on the scoreboard as, let's say, Oklahoma in 2015 where we get dominated 55 nothing in that game. But in terms of just, I think the final score was 31-10 yeah. against Mississippi State. It could have been a lot worse. You had the feeling it was a lot worse than just a three-touchdown game. Yeah, you walked away from that game knowing that, okay, they're on a, little, a level or two above we are, above where we were. And that's one of those games that afterwards you just have to kind of throw up your hands and just say, well, that team was a lot better than us. Um, it's hard to point the finger at anybody other than just the state of the program. But um, moving into this year, as Matt said, that they lost a lot of pieces on that defense, a lot of very good pieces. Um, obviously, I think if, if you're going to attack Mississippi State, 
uh, if you're building a team to attack that defense, I think that team, at least in principle, looks a lot like what K-State tries to do on a regular basis under Chris Kleiman, and that's going to be running the ball principally between the tackles, um, mixing up some other things, but definitely doing a lot of shifting and preset, uh, pre-snap uh, motion and uh, utilizing running backs uh, in the passing game. And so I think that that's, those are things that K-State wants to do against every team, and when it happens to be against a team that, if that's their weakness on defense, I think that's very favorable for K-State, at least on the offense. Now, for K-State on defense, where do you start? Because it's this- a much different attack. that Because last year you thought, okay, going into that game, or at least I did, if I'm going back about a year from today, I'm thinking, okay, if K-State's going to win this game, they got to be able to slow down the run game. Right. Make, make Fitzgerald beat you with his arm. Which, you know, and that was really the template to beat Mississippi State last year is make them one-dimensional. And oftentimes, from what I remember from watching Mississippi State last year, you know, they kind of did that to themselves. They didn't ask Fitzgerald to do a ton through the air, uh, and they would, they would, you know, ground and pound on you. This year, it's, it's a much different, uh, much different song and dance for, for what Mississippi State wants to do. That's right. I mean, this Mississippi State offense is a lot more balanced because you still have, in my estimation, one of the best running backs in the country in the backfield with Kylan Hill. Um, that guy is turning, that guy's just a highlight machine. Uh, but then with Tommy Stevens, um, he presents Mississippi State with more balance because he can throw out of the backfield. I mean, he can maximize the benefit that these enormous wide receivers give that offense. And so it's kind of a pick your poison problem for K-State because I I get the feeling that unless K-State just wants to be gashed by Kylan Hill for 60 minutes, they're going to be asking their secondary to be doing a lot. Um, And you're going to find them on islands and on islands that they don't necessarily feel comfortable on because they're on those islands with Giants. Yeah. Um, And so one thing K-State can do that we haven't seen much so far is get into the backfield and pressure Tommy Stevens as fast as he as fast because you know Southern Miss was able to have a little bit of success with that last week against Mississippi State where they were able to just bring a corner blitz or bring a guy in the backfield really fast and screw up the whole RPO look for this Mississippi State offense. So that could help things out um, if you're keen on run blitzes that turn into actual blitzes just to take some of the pressure off the secondary, but. If you sit in base defense, I think that Mississippi State's just going to figure out a way, okay, we'll give it to Kylan Hill, and when you when you commit to stopping that, we'll throw it outside. Um, so I think it's I think K-State's defense is definitely going to have its handful on Saturday. Let's kind of switch it up here a little bit to offense. I know you like this matchup, uh, and it kind of caught my ear a little bit when, when Matt says he even likes it a little bit for when K-State has the ball offensively. Uh, being able to run a little bit on this Mississippi State defense. Uh, Drew, curious here, what's your, if you're Courtney Messingham and Chris Kleiman and you're coming up with a game plan for how to, uh, how to get some points on the board uh, with the offense, where are you starting? Are, I mean, are we starting looking at we're going to make them run until they stop it or are we going to maybe throw on them a little bit early? How, how, if you were in charge of the game plan, what, uh, 
what are you looking for here? I don't think you have to overcomplicate things. I think this game plan can look a lot like the offense we've been running in the first two weeks, which is hand the ball off to, you know, as long as you want, as long as you can. I mean, give them 45 carries if you can um, until this front seven for Mississippi State, particularly the front four, uh, show that they can stop you. I mean, we talked a little bit about uh, Mississippi State's front four. They, they lost some guys, and it's a bit of a more inexperienced uh, lineup you'll see this year, um, particularly if Lee Autry, their defensive tackle, who Matt referenced, is out. Um, but So I would start the game just handing the ball off and seeing if... See know, what works there? and then Yeah, seeing if those A-gap power plays can work. And I expect them to, unless Mississippi State's overcommitting from the very start. But that's the nice thing about how Skylar Thompson's been playing in these first two weeks, is he has shown that he's comfortable working out of the play action, working in five-step drops to look downfield and building some trust with Malik Knowles. All right, so before I get your prediction, I'm going to ask you to give me an X factor for either either side here, uh, for K-State or Mississippi State, one of each if you like. Uh, in terms of either offensive or defensively, saying pretty much if X has a nice performance, that's going to go a long way uh, for K-State or Mississippi State in this one. Well, for K-State's defense, I think it's going to come down to the secondary and whether or not they can be comfortable uh, defending on some of those tougher matchups because they're going to be asked to go one-on-one at at times or at least be in in one-on-one matchups. Um, And so... If K-State can hold their own in those matchups while still committing enough numbers to stop uh, or at least contain Kylan Hill, then then that's great. And just bat 500 in those. And I think that that's, you're coming away feeling pretty good about it. So for K-State, I think the X factor is the secondary. And for Mississippi State, I think it's the front four. Because if those guys can step up and contain K-State's running game without needing too much help from you know the linebackers in the secondary... Uh, to come into the box, then I think that really limits what K-State's trying to do um, where they can stay back and commit enough numbers to, uh, to Thompson. Uh, so both on the defensive side of the ball, um, but for K-State, I think it's a secondary. For Mississippi State, I'll keep my eye on the front four. Okay. For me, Mississippi State, it, it's in the wide receiver. Uh, in the wide receiver room there, so to speak, uh, Gidry, Mitchell, of course, Isaiah Zuber, who K-State fans are familiar with, are they able to keep them? The biggest thing I'm worried about is is the chunk play necessarily. Of course, uh, you know, deep balls, jump balls. These guys are, I mean, these guys are physical specimens out there. And these are, in terms of wide receiver talent, outside of what K-State's going to face maybe this year with. Uh, Wallace at Oklahoma State and, and the wide receivers like C.D. Lamb at Oklahoma. Uh, this is as good of a, a wide receiver core top to bottom as what K-State's going to face in my estimation. So I, I would look there uh, for Mississippi State. And I'm going to – you mentioned the um, the secondary for K-State. I'm going to go with the defensive line for K-State. And, you know, it's been a unit that going into the season we felt uh, – was one of the strong points of the defense. Um, I feel still it is one of the strong points of the defense, but it hasn't quite flashed uh, yet uh, the way I might be hoping for. Of course, um, 
Wyatt Hubert, a little bit banged up, uh, still expects to play uh, for the Wildcats. But the guy I'm going to look at is Reggie Walker. Getting back down near his home stopping ground uh, down in Mississippi. Uh, originally a Louisiana boy, uh, Reggie Walker is. I'm looking for him to uh, to step up and, and maybe get strip sack fumble recovery or uh, at least be in either uh, Steven's face uh, throughout the uh, throughout the afternoon. So that those are the two guys, or the, that's the two groups, uh, of course, with Mississippi State, their wide receivers, and uh, Reggie Walker for K-State. I think that defensive line is going to have to really show up if K-State uh, wants to come away with a win. Well, you mentioned the uh, athletes that Mississippi State has playing wide receiver. I mean, you just look down this list. Osiris Mitchell is 6'5". Uh, Austin Williams, sophomore form, is 6'3", and Stephen Gidry is 6'4". And hey, by the way, don't forget, uh, they also have uh, Isaiah Zuber um, on that wide receiving core too. So certainly a talented group in a physically imposing group uh, if you're a secondary player for K-State. And another guy I don't want to just keep on going on here, but you've got uh, Devontae Jason, one of the top recruits in the country, uh, not this year, but the previous year, 6'3", 225. Yeah, Lamar Brown. They've got a lot of those guys. Uh, they, they, there must be something in the water down there because they, uh, they have them in, uh, in bushels down there uh, in Starkville. be an interesting matchup uh, on the perimeter. That's right. That's right. So I think we both think that <clears throat> the offenses for each team are more known commodities at this point, or at least – you're more confident on each team's offense uh, coming into this game, and it's just a matter of which team's defense can uh, Make punch a little bit above their weight and, and take away what uh, the offense is trying to do. And in a game like this where, as as you think and as, as Matt thinks, and we'll get to what I think here in a little bit, that it could be a high-scoring game, it could be something as simple as a special teams play, whether good or bad, or uh, a defensive uh, defensive turnover pick six, quick score like that, that could be the difference in this one. So special teams is definitely something I'm keeping an eye out on uh, this weekend as well. Maybe uh, get one in the kick game, get one uh, on a punt return, block punt. We haven't had one of those in a while. Phil Brooks, you're on notice, That's young right. man. That's right. So uh, be interested to see lots of, I think all three, um, offense, defense, and special teams are, are, are going to be testing this game, no doubt. So I think we've pretty well covered it, Drew. I'm going to give you the floor here. What's uh, what's the call for Saturday? Well, I agree with Matt. I think it's going to be a uh, high-scoring affair. I think both offenses are going to do uh, what they do best against the opposing defenses. Um, I, I think Mississippi State comes out uh, victorious in this one, but a closer game than we saw last year. Um, I, I think that uh, Mississippi State's going to win this one 37-31. Okay, so that is a... That's a pretty high-scoring game right there. I think it will be. Okay. I have it a little bit lower scoring. I have a 27-21. I'm going to go with Mississippi State in this one. Uh, I think I'm a little – I'm very close to picking K-State in this one. However, I just don't – with K-State having you know run it up on Nichols and Bowling Green – I think a big enough step up in pedigree here with Mississippi State. I think K State is going to have is going to struggle a little bit more to move the ball offensively than they were um, in in, the, in week one and two. 
I think they're going to have some success running the ball, but as the game wears on, I'm a little bit concerned about the environment, heat, getting involved. I think that at the end of the day, Tommy Stevens and that wide receiving core make a few too many plays for K-State, and uh, they, they get it done. All right, so we both have uh, K-State beating the line, but coming a little short in terms of On the final the score. Yeah, so, but also, too, this is a game where K-State's really kind of going in this game with not a whole lot to lose. And this is a game where, like, I um, I think that Kleiman's pedigree as going on the road here in a, in a game, it's obviously a different scenario, uh, but when he was at North Dakota State going on the road and upsetting Iowa and Iowa State, maybe he can glean some of that. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think all the stops will be pulled out in this one, no, no doubt about it. I just think uh, Mississippi State's a little bit too talented. I think – yeah, my, my question mark is still just on the defense. I mean, I know the mob is back, but I'm not ready to put my final stamp on it yet. If they can hold, uh, if they can hold Mississippi State um, in this attack under four touchdowns, if they can hold that score under 28, I'll be, uh, I'll be riding the mob train uh, as we progress through the season. All right, well, that will do it uh, for our... A preview here on Mississippi State. Uh, once again, thank you to uh, Matt White as he was able to uh, join us here on the short side option. Of course, be able to go check out his work. Uh, Matt Wyatt Media is where you can find him. And uh, I believe on Twitter at Radio Wyatt is where you can find him. And uh, and check out those uh, his YouTube page if you can find it because, man, it is uh, full of a lot of good stuff. Uh, Big 12 fans may be familiar with some of the work that Ian Boyd does uh, breaking down Big 12 teams and concepts that you see around the conference. But Matt White does a very similar job in a video format uh, for the Bulldogs. And if you want a little preview of what you can expect to see on Saturday, I'd encourage you to head over there. Yes, and I did get that right. It is at Radio Wyatt on Twitter. Uh, definitely worth a follow. Definitely worth uh, spending some time seeing what he uh, has to offer in terms of uh, his film breakdowns. That'll do it here for the Mississippi State uh, preview. Uh, We'll be back after this with uh, another in the long line of Wildcat legends and Ask the Icon. Join us after the break. All right, welcome back to this week's episode of the Short Side Option Podcast with the Icon and D-Lou. And Icon, uh, it's now time for a segment on the Short Side Option that we like to call This Week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon, our Wildcat Legend this week Hails from Salina, Kansas. A running back, in fact. He uh, wore number 32 and is one, in, is one of many great Wildcats who were able to don that number, including greats such as David Allen and Darren Sproles. Many That's people, right. Many people forget that Darren Sproles wore number 32. Um, but he did. He did. Yeah, that's right. He did. Yes, he did. And uh, the only man I could be talking about, of course is Donnie Anders. And, uh, man, storied career for uh, Donnie Anders. uh, Put up, got some run as a freshman. Played in five games um, for the 2003 edition of the Wildcats. And that's a team that won the Big 12 championship. Did you know that? I did. I I was aware of that, yeah. Yeah. But over the course of his career, he uh, put up uh, 105 yards uh, on 30 carries. For uh, it's about three and a half yards per clip. He had 40 receiving yards, and uh, 
even had a couple kick returns in there as well. Uh, but in all, he racked up three touchdowns for the Wildcats. And there's a game that I'm sure you remember, and that all Wildcats fans certainly remember, uh, where Donnie Anders had his career day. And that okay. came against North Texas in 2005. Remember that game? Remember it well. Yeah. Uh, man. That was the, I believe that was the, uh, not to take the spotlight oh, no, from, please. from Donnie, but I believe that was a big game for one Parrish Fisher. Yeah, you're right. Um, so before we get to Parrish, let's yeah, no, let's let's give Donnie his, yeah. his deal here. Uh, Donnie Anders, eight carries for 33 yards and two touchdowns. I mentioned he had uh, 40 yards receiving in his career. Guess what? They all came against North Texas, and like even better, all on one reception. Oh, big play, <laughs> man! Yeah, yeah. boy. Um, so very big day for Donnie uh, Donnie Anders, seventy three total yards of offense uh, for Donnie, uh, and two touchdowns. Um, you know, while we're on this North Texas game, Allen Webb's stat line for that game very impressive. Went ten of twelve for two hundred and fifty six yards. Jesus, I know twenty six yards a catch almost. That has to be the most yards per attempt. For any K-State quarterback in history in a single game. I challenge somebody to look that up. Yards per attempt? Yeah, that has to be... It's right up there. Uh, it's hard to imagine um, throwing uh, for more yards per attempt there. Uh, but you're right. Uh, despite Donnie's uh, incredible day, uh, actually only the third leading rusher for the Wildcats on... Uh, that September afternoon against Northwest or North Texas, excuse me, uh, because Carlos Alsup, another notable Wildcat, uh, ran for 43 yards, and Parrish Fisher, who's truly—I don't know if he's a legend or not. He might be, but very, very good. A legendary performance, none yeah, none to say the least. Yeah, uh, ran for 169 yards on 21 carries. So, quite a day for the Wildcats. Um, any other Donnie Anders memories stick out in your... I think you pretty well covered them. Well, yeah. And so this performance against North Texas for Donnie is emblematic of why Donnie Anders is this week's Wildcat legend. Now, moving right along, Icon, we're going to get into a uh, another segment of our show, a segment we like to call Ask the Icon. And now, let me just explain to you how this works. So we, we get up here, we talk about sports and grind on sports and sports yeah, stories and stats. Um, but sometimes the listeners might want to grind. Yeah, they want to get in on the fun. Yeah, and so if they're curious about something to do with Wildcats athletics, they can ask us. And, and we'll answer it. And we'll answer it. Yeah. And the way people usually do that is they text us a question if they happen to have our phone numbers. Or... Um, they can get on Twitter.com and log they can, in. They can log into it, and uh, they can basically send us a message on there on that platform. And our name on that is at tsso underscore podcast. And you just type that in and write your question right after that. And there you go. Or you can use the hashtag 
uh, ask the icon. And basically a hashtag is something people can click on yeah, and yeah. see everybody all, else yeah, that's, that's talking, talking about, about that. Yeah, that's right. Um, so anyway, that's, that's what they can do. And our first question for the icon this week comes uh, via text message from our Big Ten correspondent, Big Dog in Madison. Big Dog writes, Given his past success at North Dakota State, how does Chris Kleiman respond to being an underdog this week? Do you worry at all about this change in mindset for him as a head coach? Roll that back for me one more time. The question, as I understand it, is Kleiman boat raced people at North Dakota State all the time. Yeah. And now that this is okay, him in you. the underdog role might be new for him. Yeah, so what? how I would answer that is you look at his success on – well, it's not only his success as the head coach at North Dakota State. I believe he was the head coach when they uh, won at Iowa and also Iowa State, uh, if, if memory serves me correctly. Um, so with that being said, he, he – this is a game that K-State, I think – I think we'd both agree here, uh, Drew, is that K-State really doesn't have a whole lot to lose here. Um, It's similar to kind of like those North Dakota State teams when they go on the road uh, to play a Power 5 team. They go on the road. uh, They don't have uh, a whole lot to lose. They're out there letting it all hang out. It's a great chance to let their program show up on national television and and get the notoriety for for knocking off, uh, you know, a big-time team. So I think he'll maybe draw on a little bit of that experience. Obviously, the guy can coach. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, so, no, I don't really worry about, you know, the, the change maybe from, you know, being a dominant favorite, uh, you know, week in, week out at North Dakota State as they go through FCS competition. But I think he can draw some good experience out of, um, out of the uh, times that he's got on the road, uh, you know, against P5 teams and, uh, and dwell on that a little bit. All right. <clears throat> Our next question comes from listener Darren Holiday at Everyday Holiday. He asks, what week do we break into the top 25? Mm, yeah, a pensive tough. look on the face of the icon. This is tough. I don't think, if we were to beat Mississippi State, I don't think we'd get in. Oh, I, I au contraire. Mon you frere. do? Yes, I do. Depending on how we beat them, if we beat them by... 20 points, yeah, we probably do. But I don't think we get in. If we eke out a win, I think we're in. Really? Yeah. And this is somebody who pays very close attention to these sorts, to the, of, things. To the, to these sorts of things, you know. Um, but, and I say that just because it would be one of the top 20 wins of the year so far, probably. Maybe, maybe higher than that. Just because there haven't been very many road games one in intense environments. I mean, look at Oklahoma State. They go on the road and win at Oregon State, and that's like one of the most notable victories for the conference so far. Yeah. And so maybe in the grand scheme of things, this wouldn't be anything, but if K-State's 3-0 and with a win at Mississippi State, that's going to be viewed well by voters. Oh, and I think it would be. I just don't know if it's enough to get us all the way in. Well, I listened to Soren. Petro today uh, on his radio oh, they, show. They, they found some time to talk about something other than who might be the Chiefs' third-string center? Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, he's on the afternoon show at 810 now. Uh, after Kevin Keatsman is no longer on that show anymore. I'm aware. It's very... They treated Kevin very unfairly. They did. 
They did. Anyway, Soren, who's a AP poll voter, said that he wouldn't have K-State ranked if they beat Mississippi State, but he expected that many others would and that K-State would likely break into the top 25, and I tend to agree with him. Okay. Um, only, just be, only because the field is so green right now, and there just haven't been – there won't be very many 3-0 and teams that have an impressive victory. Certainly not yeah, that's 25 fair. of them. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, if K-State's not ranked in the top 25 – Following this weekend, if we win, heads are going to roll. Okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll we'll keep our eye on that. Uh, to answer, uh, sorry for hijacking. Yeah. That question. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. I know the AP poll kind of gets you riled up a little bit it in, does. Some, in some sort of way. So, yep. uh, but to answer Darren's question, I think we'd have to win the next two uh, to get in the to get in the poll. Uh, so that would be two uh, back-to-back road wins over Mississippi State and Oklahoma State. So. I think that's what it would take, and I don't think K-State will win both of those games. So I don't think K-State gets into the poll until they welcome Oklahoma to Manhattan. So you're saying that – are you predicting a victory over Oklahoma right now? No, 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 no. Oh, what are you talking about? They'll be ranked when they host them. Oh, you're predicting wins over Baylor and TCU. Not necessarily, but I think that winning one of those games, going four and two, might get us into the uh, might get us into the poll. Oh, okay, very good. So, um, so you're saying that on October twentieth, following K State's game against TCU, K State will be in the top twenty-five. Yeah, sure. I like it. Uh, next question comes from listener Trim at TrimGoEma. He asks. KSU has had Jordy Nelson and Tyson Hartman partake in the new team entrance, leading to an obvious question. What's the more prestigious honor? Locker room door opener or Wildcat legend? And emphasis is included in that tweet. I think it's got to be Wildcat legend. Yeah. I think so, too. Um, I'm, now, I'm, I might be biased, but I, I think a Wildcat legend is... Uh, well, it's the older honor. Yeah, it's more. There's more prestige to it. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, thank you, Trim, and thank you, Icon. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, next uh, trio of questions. A, th- a uh, three and out a th- here. A three pack. Oh, I, the shoes on the other foot now. Yeah. All right. From listener Tyler Eight at th eight underscore, he asks, "Hi, hashtag Icon. Long time, long time here." <clears throat> Now that you've had a chance to see K-State with a real football coach for a couple games, have you revised any of your in-season predictions? I'm not there yet. I'm very close, though. I think we'll probably... I mean, what I would say, too, is... Remind the listeners where you were at. So I was 6-6 for K-State going in. Um, Really, all things considered, obviously these two games have exceeded my expectations in terms of what... in terms of how K-State has played. But I really want to see how they how they stack up. Even a close loss or even a 14-point loss, depending. I mean, just seeing how that Mississippi State game goes, just seeing how competitive K-State is in that game will go a long way in really uh, determining um, how I feel about uh, K-State uh, going in for the rest of the season. But as of now, I'm going to stay at 6-6. Six and six, But I do think that right now I would have to say what I think I had said pre- previously is 6-6 six and six closer to 5-7 and seven than 7-5. Seven and five. I would say that is flipped. I think we are much closer to winning seven games than we are winning five games now. 
All right. Well, win over Mississippi State. Are we thinking? Might have just been a ten and two. Might have just been a year uh, year ahead or a year behind, depending on how you want to look at it. There you go. Maybe. All right. That was first down. Here comes second down. Okay, I'm ready. Next question. Overheard at the DC Cats watch party. I believe uh, listener Tyler H. lives in our nation's capital. Okay. Some old fogey kept saying things like, quote, under Snyder, we would have done blank. Uh, he says, another uh, listener, at E. Talbs, and I held our tongues, but we wanted to respond that under Snyder, we'd be 0-1 and only up 3 on Bowling Green. What say you, Icon? I don't think we would have looked as good in the first two games. I, I, I agree with him there. I don't think we probably would have lost to Nichols. Maybe we could have, but... Um... It would be interesting to see. I'd love to. Uh, that's an interesting hypothetical. Uh, I would say that we would probably still be undefeated, but would have looked a lot less impressive. Who do you think would have been our? You think Snyder would have pulled a running back out of a hat? Who do you think would have been carrying I, that the ball? Is a, that is an, a really good question. I I have not a clue. I, I'm glad that I don't have to think about that too hard. Yeah. All right. Third down. Last one here, Icon. Appreciate the time, says Tyler. In the current grad transfer climate, how do you weigh the decision to redshirt a freshman who can clearly contribute already? Seems it's 50-50 at best that a fifth-year senior will stay at the same school. Yeah, for, for me in this situation, I'm, I'm all about just go ahead and let him play. So let's, let's frame yeah. this as Josh Youngblood. Because that's a guy who's gotten some playing time in the first two games. And I think is probably the only true freshman that we've played so far that could really tangibly help one of our units this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jacadia, Jacardia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Is it? I think it's Jacardia. Okay. Um, yeah, but in Irvin, good pieces. Nice to get him some run, but given our current stable back there. I don't think those guys are going to be move the needle either way for us in 2019. Mm-hmm. But a guy like Youngblood, he could come in here and potentially have a season like Tyler Lockett had in 2011, where you, I forget, don't recall his exact numbers, but maybe something like 300, 400 yards on the season, mm-hmm. and could spring up and have a nice game for us. So how do you feel about the prospect of playing Youngblood right now versus saving him for potentially his redshirt senior year. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, I don't think the defensive – or the defensive – I don't think the wide receiver room is the strongest position group as we've we've detailed. I I have no problem with him playing and him not – in him using his – his redshirt either at another year. I mean, because you never know with injury uh, if that comes into effect – I think if he's good enough to play now, I'd say go ahead and play him. There you go. And he mentions the transfer portal. I, you know, I'm not. I I don't really worry about that as much because if if a guy's happy and if a guy's productive at at where he's at, if it's you know obviously if there's a change in coach coaches uh, from a what's a pass happy style of offense to a more run heavy style of offense, then yeah, you can see where a quarterback. Or a running back or a wide receiver may want to transfer, uh, just because it, you know schematically it's not as 
it's not as uh, you know fit to their skill set. But you're asking four or five years down the road, things might look completely different. That's why I just say let's go ahead and, and get him on the field if he can help us now. My view on it, if he's one of our three best receivers, play him. If he's not, redshirt him. And I think that's where my analysis begins and ends. If he's if he breaks through the depth chart, you legitimately think that this guy's better than a guy like Taylor or Gill, um, then put him on the field. Don't worry about saving him. But if he's just going to be a marginal guy for you that brings in 150 yards over the course of the season, then don't blow it. Just the opportunity cost there is too much. But if you can break through the depth chart, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, moving on. Uh, listener Steven at BeantownCat22 asks, Hi, Icon. If Hello. You were, if you were the AD of our in-state rivals, the Kansas Jayhawks, and you had to fire Miles, but could only hire one of their previous football coaches, not named Mangino, who would it be? Wow. So, let's limit this to... Glenn Mason. Let's limit this to post-Glenn Mason. Okay. So that would be the... I think you have four options here. I think you have Terry Allen, and then Charlie Weiss, Turner Gill, and David Beatty. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but Turner Gill's retired. No, you're wrong. Isn't he at Liberty? That's where Hugh Freeze is at. Oh, you're right. Well, let's well let's just. Well, I think Charlie Weiss is retired too. Yeah. So let's let's. Well, you've had some art. Well, you you've had some kind of startling before and after pictures. Oh, it's it's pretty wild. We'll uh we'll try to get those out of the short side option Twitter accounts to show you, but the stress of the of the job. From one year to another, it's just, it takes a breathtaking toll. Yeah, it's, well, it's like those presidential Yeah, before and afters. Where you look at a guy like George W. Bush or Barack Obama, and they look like they've aged 20 years in in eight years. And, uh, you know, these three-year tenures that KU coaches generally have are brutal um, physiologically. But of those four guys... Allen, Weiss, uh, Gill, and Beatty. Who uh, who are you picking to uh, replace? Uh, I'm taking David Beatty because one, he's the youngest. First off, just because if you at a program, at any program, especially one uh, kind of in the shape of KU, you want to have somebody that's going to be able to, you know, really see it through, really be able to build it to a point where five, six, seven years down the road. You know they can kind of see the fruits of that labor a little bit, rather than a, maybe a guy like comes in for a, like kind of like how Les Miles might be comes in for two three years and is done after that. Phoning it in, cashing a check. No, I should say phoning it in, but he's not going to be there. Like you know, you can't build a program. It's probably like a five ten five to ten year plan, depending on where you're where you're at. To really see the in a kind of a rebuilding job like this, to really see the vision of the program that you envision really take place on the field, so it, it's something that can really be fixed in just two or three years. And if you do, you're gonna have to take a ton of shortcuts, like we saw with with really all of these coaches except for Gill that I recall, where they go extremely JUCO heavy, and then that just throws off all your uh, unbalanced classes, all the things that go on with that. 
you really need someone that's going to be in for the long haul. And I thought David Beatty did a, did a really pretty good job last year, all things considered. I mean, of course, you know, the wins weren't quite there, but, but as, uh, as we talked with uh, Austin Swisher, our KU insider, uh, at the end of the season, KU was playing, playing some tough ball. I think it was a touchdown game against Texas. They scored 45 points against OU and lost by, you know, I think two touchdowns, two, three touchdowns. But, a, you know, right there, th- you know, trying to keep pace with a, with a team that very few teams in the nation can offensively. And you also look at, you know, obviously they were able to pull off an upset last year, beat TCU. So they were definitely playing hard, and I, I would have liked to see him get uh, an additional year. And so that, since he didn't get an additional year, I'm saying I'd bring him back. Bring back Bade. That's right. Well, my, that's great. But it's, it's, as you mentioned the offense late last season, it's hard to imagine how that offense got so much worse with many of the same players in just, what, eight, eight nine months? Mm-hmm. Because their first two performances this season, Icon. I haven't had a chance to watch those in full. Well, I have. Should, are you telling me I should just save, save a couple hours of my, my time? And Well, I'll just do a plug for the Big 12 YouTube channel, which has condensed games um, on their page now. So you can watch uh, both of those games in an hour total. Each game is about 30 minutes cut down on the Big 12 YouTube channel. I remember you saying that. That's, that's a really nice... And I... I have seen that, and now that you jog my memory on that, that is a, a great way for fans. If you know, if you're like me, you're at the game, you're at the K State game, you're kind of, kind of lost in what's going on around the rest of the country because you're you're at the game. You can't keep track of the other ones, whether you have a couple TVs set up or whatever the case is. Really nice way to uh, instead of recording the three hour game and thumbing through it. Um, you know, with your DVR, this is a really great way to do that. So that's th- thank you for plugging. Let that. the boys in Dallas do it for you. Yeah. But let me tell you that uh, that KU offense is struggling. Ugly. Ugly. Um, Carter Stanley, rough times on Mount Oread. You got to wonder, Thomas McVitie, if he's not, if he hasn't got any run after those two games, um, you wonder about his skill set because Carter Stanley has had a rough go of it in the first two games. Uh, We're getting into our final question asker uh, on this week's edition of Ask the Icon. Uh, Listener Nick Ward. All right. At N. Leland W. I was beginning to kind of wonder if we were going to hear from our favorite Texan. That's right. Uh, He asks, Hey, Icon, what's up with our jersey? I mean, have you been following Bruce this late summer? Seems like he's been putting together some solid interest on the croup trail. Yeah, of course. We had mentioned that in um, in a previous edition of the short side option where uh, K-State's got two top 150 guys. Uh, earlier this summer, we are able to secure the um, commitment of Nigel Pack, uh, guard out of uh, the um, state of Indiana. Has a chance to be uh, one of the top players in the state of Indiana, which is always... Uh, could be Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana, actually, when you look at what is kind of in the senior class. Pretty high, uh, some pretty great company to be associated with uh, when it comes to the the um, history of Mr. Basketballs in the state of Indiana, of course. So it'll be something to keep an eye on how he his senior year goes. But then uh, Luke Kasabke, 
Kazabuke. Kazabuke, as I had always thought it was until I actually had heard his name being said uh, on, on TV, radio, whatever the case was. Kasaki is how it's uh, pronounced. But uh, sharp shooting guard uh, from St. Louis. K-State's really had a lot of success. Uh, in St. Louis, uh, Sean Neal Williams, Xavier Sneed, DJ, John, uh, DJ Johnson, um, Levi Stocker, the, the denim man, uh, have all come out of uh, that St. Louis area, and uh, the pipeline continues. And I know uh, Bruce is not quite done yet on the, on the trail, that's for sure. Exciting times for the Scorpion. That's right. We're, um, we're pumped, man. Basketball season will be here before you know it. It always comes a little sooner than I'd like it to. I'm usually, I'm still geared would you, in towards would you, football. Would you have said that last year when K-State's struggling? Yeah, I would have. I, 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 college football season is, is so short. Yeah, that's true. You never want to wish time away. And baseball's there, and NFL is there, and but you're, you're kind basketball's of, there. You're, it's just like, just, can we just have three months to ourselves. Yeah. And no, we can't. Yeah. Well, and you're kind of on the outs with the NFL now. Well, it's obnoxious. I'm a I'm a take I'm a season ticket holder. And it's just guys, you got K-State's undefeated right now. They should be talking about more important they should things. Be talking about K-State. Yeah. That's I agree, man. But hey, that's why the short side option podcast is around. That's to right. Get, to get folks their K-State fill. That's right. Uh, and our final question of the week, again, from listener Nick Ward. Uh, yeah, could, sorry to interrupt. Of course. Could you maybe read this one like Nick? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Mr. Icon, since we're talking about crutes already, how does our football staff seem to be doing their first full year on the trail? Uh, thank you. I, it's almost like Nick was reading it directly to That's me. That's right. T- talking to me, uh, you know, man to man, friend to friend, pal to pal. Birthday. We have the same birthday. Did you know that? You and listener Nick Ward? Yeah. I'll be darned. November 30th, so how about that? Yeah. Uh, anyway, you know, K-State, recruiting-wise, in, in football, I never really get too revved up, too focused on the recruiting class until that that uh, that pen meets paper uh, where they're signed. So, of course, K-State's sitting right now. I know at last check, kind of in the – 30 range, 35 to 40 range uh, for where they were um, at on rivals. You look at that, because K-State's got a pretty full recruiting class right now. Drew, do you know offhand how many commits we've got at this point? I want to say in the upper teens. I That's, think about 18 I was so. thinking, I was thinking anywhere from 18 to 20. I didn't think we had hit 20 yet. But a pretty full class. You look at the average star rating of these, of these folks, and – K-State drops down to around 55, 60, in that range, depending on where you look uh, for your recruiting uh, information. But I always think time, tell, time will tell on these. I, don't, I probably put less emphasis on recruiting overall than other folks do in terms of just like star rankings, and especially when we're talking about it uh, here in the middle of September uh, when signing day is not until uh, – December and then again in February. So that kind of is my stance on that. How, how how do you kind of answer that? I think he's been doing fine. Yeah, I think he's. And, but to answer, I guess next question, I think it's been fine. I think it's been. I think we've recruited better than we have uh, under Snyder, and um, not necessarily a, a super tall task there. But I think steps are being made in the right direction. 
Um, but you have to find guys that fit your program too. So there's there's the program fit, and then there's just the overall talent fit. I think the overall talent that we're bringing in uh, from some of the recruits that we have have uh, committed so far is better than what we've seen in past years. But like I said, until um, until pen hits paper and they're they're signed, sealed, and delivered, uh, I always reserve a little bit of judgment. Re- I reserve a little bit of judgment uh, on the class as a whole. All right. Well said. Well answered. Uh, now, Icon, I'd like to ask the Icon a question. By I'd, like all to, means. I'd like to jump around the Big 12 just a little bit and see kind of where you see uh, some of these out-of-conference games going in Week 3 because I think this is a week where uh, rubber meets the road a little bit for the conference. Sure. You have a few games where teams are playing Power 5 teams, and I think that this could be kind of a nice week for the Big 12 to uh, add some legitimacy. Um to the conference, yeah, there, there. Are, it's not the sexy game like you have. Uh, you don't have an LSU Texas. Yeah, you don't have the LSU Texas. You but, don't have a like an Oklahoma Ohio State from several years past. But some very, some interesting some games. Very good games. So we'll get right started with it. Uh, Kansas Boston College. The line uh, opened at eighteen and a half. It's now moved to twenty one. Do uh, you think the Jayhawks have any shot to uh, make some noise against the Golden Eagles? Tough for me to see that taking place. I think Boston College is a pretty good team. Uh, A.J. Dillon, one of the better running backs in the nation, and maybe a guy that a lot of uh, K-State fans and uh, you know fans of the Big 12 may not be familiar with, but uh, if you get the ACC network, which is where that game will be played, tune in because you'll see two pretty darn good running backs with uh, Puka Williams on, on KU's side and uh, A.J. Dillon for uh, the Eagles. Uh, I would like... Uh, Boston College to win this game, and I'd like it, like them to win it uh, pretty comfortably. I think we probably go outside that 21-point margin. All right. Moving to Ames, Iowa, where is where college game day will be. This That's week. right. First time in Ames. The Cyhawk Trophy up for grabs in Ames. Iowa State opens is a one-point favorite, but the line has shifted. Oh, really? To favor Iowa by two and a half. Okay, that's pretty big. So the Hawkeyes getting almost a field goal. You know, this is a game that is always tight, always well well contested. Uh, I think that the bye week that Iowa State's coming off right here is interesting in a lot of respects because not many teams I in college football I think have a bye week after week one, except discount those week zero folks. Sure, but I don't know if that's the best time to have one. You, I mean, really, if you got to make your schedule, I think you'd say we're going to have one after we're going to have a bye week like K-State does right at the end of non-con play, right before conference play. So we're going into our conference opener well-rested, you know, a whole week to game plan, all that stuff. And it's like, it's a nice little bookend. Yeah, bookend, so to speak. And then maybe have one right in the middle of conference play, especially if you have a rivalry game coming up the next week, uh, you know, in conference uh, but have, have something maybe at the start of November uh, for a bye week would be would be your because this year in college football uh, each team gets two bye weeks. So um, with that being said, week two or having a uh, week two bye, I think maybe uh, lets them get their feet under them a little bit. But I still have to pick Iowa. I think Iowa is a really strong team and is a team that while all the talk in the um, it seemed like seemingly all the talk around here anyway uh, for as it relates to the Big Ten and the Big Ten West was that Nebraska was 
uh, going to get to that Big Ten championship game this year, and we're going to maybe make a run at a Big Ten title. And, you know, if you squint hard enough, maybe you could see him sneaking in the playoff as a dark horse. Uh, after a loss to Colorado, I think Nebraska fans are, are a little bit uh, uneasy on that. And while all this time, uh, Iowa and Wisconsin have both looked very impressive early on. So for me, I have to go with Iowa. I think it'll be a really tight game. Uh, a, a win for Iowa State would certainly not surprise me. I know I picked Iowa uh, when we did our early season picks, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with that. All right. Uh, next, we got to Morgantown, West Virginia, where the Mountaineers will host North Carolina State. Um, this game opens and remains a uh, six-and-a-half-point line favoring North Carolina State. I like North Carolina State in this one. Um, I think I, I had West Virginia as the ninth-place team in the Big 12. Neil Brown's got a lot of work to do. Uh, I think he's a good coach, but I think right now – I'll, I'll be I'll be the first to admit I don't know much about uh, North Carolina State. This is more a play against uh, or a pick against uh, West Virginia, and I'll I'll take uh, I'll take North Carolina State in this one. I like that I like that pick against you saw West Virginia. You saw yeah, I was, last week. I was in Columbia for uh, the Missouri uh, West Virginia game last week, and. Neil Brown's got his work cut out for him. Yeah. Um, especially this year. A lot year of talent left that Mountaineers team. Whew, that, that offense was hapless um, in Columbia last week. So, uh, could be a rough season for the Mountaineers. Uh, moving on, Texas Christian at Purdue. Uh, similar to the Iowa State line, uh, the home team in this one, Purdue, opened as a one and a half point favorite. But the action has certainly favored TCU since then. TCU is now a two and a half point favorite. Yeah, give me TCU here. A better defense. I do have a ton of questions. Oh, man, actually, I'm, I've went back and forth on this a little bit. Um, I really like TCU's defense, and I really like the talent they have. I'm going to go ahead and pick TCU in this game. But I don't feel real strong either way. Rondell Moore is also if you're, uh, you know, kind of keep your focus here in the Big Twelve and, and don't uh, you know check out a ton other nationally. Watch Rondell Moore play. I think he had over 250 yards receiving last week. Uh, for the for the Boilers, they're going to throw the ball around. Uh, quarterback last name Sindelar uh, for Purdue threw for over 500 last week uh, as Purdue. Uh, rolled so it's going to be a tough game but give me Gary Patterson week to prepare too uh, as, as right. TCU was off last week give me Gary Patterson in, in this matchup I think he'll have that frog defense uh, ready to slow down uh, what is a pretty po uh, pretty potent boiler offense all right then we head to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena where Oklahoma takes on the UCLA Bruins. I, I'm going to interrupt you. I, I don't care what the number is. Give me Oklahoma. They're going undefeated this year, per the icon here. And also, I watched that opening night game, D. Lou, mm -hmm. of UCLA. Or it wasn't opening night. It was opening night of week one, not week zero. So on Thursday night, when uh, UCLA uh, traveled to the NIP and played um, the Cincinnati. Cincinnati Bearcats, Cincinnati, and. Um, I can't tell you how annoyed I was with the commentators referring to Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the much-ballyhooed 
a quarterback for UCLA as DTR the entire night. And I understand it. He's got kind of a long hyphenated last name, and you know, it's a, but you have to be better than him to get a nickname. He hasn't done anything. He's not RG3. No, he's certainly not. He's certainly not. And I, you know, I, I typically liked, don't like to heap on praise to players. And, you know, like with Rondell Moore, um, with him um, being at uh, Purdue, I was, I was going on about him. You know, people are going to maybe say, oh, well, I've never heard of this guy. He's not Lance Allworth like you're making him out to be. Well, I'll yeah. tell you what, folks. This guy, he might be Lance Altward. This guy is a really? stud. This guy's a stud. Rondell Moore, that's my plug for him. I'm, I'm, I advise you to watch it. And now that I've pumped him up, he'll go out and have four catches for 25 yards. Well, the uh, betting public certainly agrees with you. That line opened uh, at Oklahoma minus 17 and has now moved all the way to Oklahoma minus 23. So big jump there for the Sooners. Uh, we'll head out uh, to the desert where Texas Tech takes on Arizona in Tucson. Red Raiders are currently sitting as a two-and-a-half-point favorite against the Wildcats. Who do you got in that? Sneaky game. Gosh, I really like the. Um, I really like Texas Tech. I think they are clearly the better team. So that's why I'm going to have to go with them. But this is a game that would make me a little nervous. Going on the road uh, to Tucson, uh, of course, is going to be not a necessarily intimidating environment, but uh, it, it's a. It, it could be a game where you see some explosive offenses getting after it. Uh, Khalil Tate leads the Wildcat attack, uh, but you know you, I know you're especially high on Texas Tech um, with um, Alan Bowman leading the way there for for stay the, healthy, Alan for the Red Raiders, and they've looked good in their. Two two games, I believe Portland State or Montana State play, They played you know FCS game week one and then uh, took care of uh, Dana Demel and UTEP last weekend uh, comfortably. So, with that being said, um, give me Texas Tech. What's the line on that one? Texas Tech sitting as a two and a half point favorite in so, Tucson. Yeah, just give me Texas Tech to win that one. I I think uh, I think they'll uh, get. I think they've got the better quarterback play, more consistent quarterback play, and I think with Tate, you'll you'll see some spectacular plays, you'll see some spectacular runs, but you'll see him be a little careless with the ball at times, and uh, that's why in a in a game that could be a shootout, give me the guy who I think is uh, a little bit more uh, trustworthy with the ball. Over under on that game, by the way, sitting at right about 76 and a half, 77, like depending I said, on where you get it. But, a shootout. Uh, um, consider that one this weekend. Um, another sneaky game he called uh, Texas Tech Arizona sneaky. I think another sneaky game could be uh, Oklahoma State at Tulsa as well for that in-state rivalry there. And anytime it's a rivalry as heat as, as that one, you throw out the record books. Uh, the guys in Vegas are uh, marking this as about a 14-point spread in Oklahoma State's favor. Uh, you see the Cowboys rolling against the uh, Golden Hurricanes. Yeah, I, I think 14 is a little light. I would. Uh... I know Tulsa went on the road last week to uh, to East Lansing and and um, and ran it up, got ran over by the Spartans. A uh, little bit different. I mean, obviously Michigan State has one of the best defenses in the country. Oklahoma State doesn't quite possess that, but 
there's not many teams in the in the Big Twelve, maybe just one, that I think can go really score for score with uh, potentially with with what Oklahoma State can do as long as Spencer Sanders keeps playing well. Spencer Sanders, uh, Chuber Hubbard, Tylen Wallace. That's as good of a combo as you can find anywhere in the country. And um, outside of maybe Clemson and Alabama, that's about the best uh, quarterback, running back, uh, wide receiver combo. So give me the Pokes. Uh, I think they don't have too much trouble with the with the uh, Tulsa Golden Hurricane. All right, very good. Well, that's the run through the Big 12. Uh, Drew, anything else you'd like to add here as we, as we wrap up here? No, I just like to say that I really like doing podcasts, and I like, uh, I like being able to address our listeners every week, and I like... Uh, like being able to talk to you, Chris. Drew, I love talking to you too, bud. Yeah, it's always great having having uh, this uh, this time as as we bring uh, our opinions here to the Wildcat uh, Nation. And folks, that'll do it here uh, for this edition of the Short Side Option. Uh, be sure to uh, let us know what you think about K State's upcoming game against uh, Mississippi State uh, on Twitter. Give us your score predictions at tsso underscore podcast. Or if maybe there's another game in the Big 12 that uh, catches your eye, uh, maybe where you could see an upset brewing, or uh, maybe where you think uh, you know a team from the Big 12 rolls uh, a little bit uh, wider than what the experts think. So that'll do it here for us on the Short Side Option Podcast. Thanks for listening. Go Cats. <laughs>